Well, let's pray while they work it out. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we come to sit under your word now, you would indeed humble our hearts. You would help us to see all the more clearly the hope, the love, the strength that you grant us, your people, in Christ to prepare us for the darkest of days. And we commit ourselves into your hands in his name. Amen. Crying out to God on a sleepless night. Crying out to God on a sleepless night. I've had a few sleepless nights over the past couple of months, and I've only myself to blame for it, really. The doctor told me long ago, Tim, you've got to drink more water now that you're in Malaysia, you've got to drink less coffee now that you're in Malaysia, and you've definitely got to do more exercise now that you're in Malaysia. And it wasn't simply to avoid dehydration, but for me, I am prone to developing kidney stones. Uh, Here is one coming up. That was my uh, world of pain last month. And as I was passing uh, kidney stones, I can say I did personally cry out to God in the middle of the night, a painful, sleepless night, and I cried out for relief. Please take the pain away. Please let me sleep, Lord. The one comfort that I did have, even on that night, was knowing, having had kidney stones in the past, is that though they are painful, acutely painful, the pain is short-lived. They are not nice, but they pass usually in hours, or at the very worst, days. I knew relief would come soon enough. It's just the small price that I had to pay for my socially acceptable chemical dependency known as coffee five times a day. But my kidney stones, they pale in comparison to those far darker, more serious trials that I suspect many of us have faced at times before. When we cry out to God and relief is nowhere to be seen. It's been more than a year since Pastor Koa was abducted from the streets of KL. His wife, his children, course continue to fear for him without any real knowledge as to where he is and whether he will be returned safely. How would you, as a member of God's people, go about comforting that family, crying out to God on sleepless nights with with no relief in sight? Perhaps right now we are facing our own day of trouble. We are crying out to God in the night. We're not able to sleep well because for some reason we are suffering and there is no relief in sight. How do we find hope? How do we find comfort on the darkest of days when there are nothing but dark clouds on the horizon? That is the question that Psalm 77 helps us to answer today as Asaph, the psalmist here, cries out to God himself during his own sleepless night. Do turn back to it. If you've closed it, Psalm 77. And we know that this is a psalm of Asaph from the header at the very beginning of the psalm in capitals. That's part of God's word. And we read there, to the choir master, according to Jedaphon, a psalm of Asaph. It's very likely this is the same Asaph who we know from 1 Chronicles 16, King David 
appoints as the chief musician for Israel. And we've got a pretty good idea of, of who he is, who wrote this song uh, for God's people that they would sing in the temple to one another. But what isn't clear is why Asaph wrote this psalm. All we know is that he is enduring a really bitter time. We are not told why. The situation, the why for him, that, that's actually not important here in this psalm. No, the focus is on how he responds in this brutally and deeply honest account in the midst of his suffering. It is intended to be of great help and encouragement for both Israel and for us as God's people when we face the darkest of days. And we begin with his de desperate cry, crying out to God. Let, join with me in verse 1. Verse 1. And he writes, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. The first thing we see here is that Asaph does know the Lord as his Lord. He has a firm belief that as he cries out to God, God will hear him. His pleas, his cries will not fall on deaf ears. Verse 1, he will hear me. Whatever trouble he's facing, Asaph is just determined to cry out to God. Verse 2, I will seek the Lord, not just in the public assembly, in the temple, with his fellow Israelites, but in his most private moments too. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. His relationship with God as a member of his people, that determines the way he responds to this crisis. He's fervent in prayer. I find that personally humbling because I know for myself how slow I can be to simply pray to the Lord in the midst of a tough time. I'm very quick to think about what I can do relying on my own wits, but I'm slow to cry out to God for wisdom. I remember we, we went for a breakaway a little while ago as a family, and back at our hotel, I think it was in Malacca, I just had a shower and I got the floor around the shower and around many other parts of the room, very wet because I'm just typically clumsy. And my son Josiah, he managed to slip on the same floor twice within about five minutes. And he managed to hit the back of his head, same part, twice within five minutes. The second time, he lost consciousness. We freaked out, of course, and we rushed him to the closest accident and emergency we could find on ways. But it was my wife, Melissa, who was audibly crying out to God, please, Lord, let him be okay. Let him be okay. And I hadn't thought to pray when I saw her doing that. I was quick to rely on my own wits. And there's nothing wrong, of course, us planning and working out what we should wisely do. But the very fact, I wasn't even thinking about praying to God at that time. It was so strange. Thankfully, Josiah was okay. He woke up as soon as we got into the doctor's room to our great embarrassment. But the crisis that Asaph faces here, it just continues to endure. It's not quick. We're told he prays to God throughout the night. But, verse 2, carrying on, my soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Relief does not come. You know, there are those that tragically today claim that if you just pray hard enough as a Christian and fervently enough to God, your problems will just evaporate. 
into thin air. These ridiculous word of faith movements. You have the power in your words to make your problems just disappear. That is nothing like the experience of Asaph here in this psalm. He cries out to God continually. And as he does so, the conflict becomes all the worse. He can't be comforted. He moans. His spirit is faint within him. He's not just having a bad day. These dark clouds, they remain on the horizon, and it looks like they are there to stay. And so he begins to break down in great sorrow. He starts to wonder, is God abandoning us? See verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. You hold my eyelids open. Insomnia is starting to set in. The grief is so great, he can't even put it into words. He's become mute. He is being brutally honest about how he feels, how I suspect we have all at times felt. And we're praying. We're crying out to God, please bring this trial to an end, and it's just raging on and on and on. And so we, like Asaph, we sink down deep. And we begin, slowly but surely, to to doubt question, to wonder, is God really with me? Is he really for me in this? Does he really have my best interests at heart? See how Asaph confesses his own doubts in verse 5. I I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Asaph wants to think back to happier days, years long ago, when life was not so troublesome, when when he, as a musician in Israel and the rest of Israel, would literally sing themselves to sleep. Let me remember my song in the night. When they would praise God for his goodness and his provision and security. But Asaph can't sleep now. He's just left with his troubled thoughts. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Verse 7, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? We start to get into Asaph's inner turmoil as he suffers, as he continues to groan. In the night, he entertains his worst fears. The Lord is no longer for him. His favor has run out. See see how his thoughts continue in verse 8. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? The language there is very much based on what we see earlier in Exodus, where God does for the very first time reveal the character of his name to all of his people. In Exodus 34 verse 6, coming up on the screen, see if you can spot the words that Asaph has just used in verses 8 and 9, as God tells his people, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. This was God's promise to his people, based on the character of his name. He would be their Lord who would continue to show mercy 
as well as justice. He would be to them a faithful father. So yes, he would deal justly with them when they went astray, but his steadfast love for them would never fail. They would know his grace, his mercy, as they repent of their sins, as they came back to him. His steadfast love would remain for men like Asaph who cried out to him for mercy and deliverance. Asaph had that in his Bible, but at this point, he is struggling to see it, to see God's faithfulness in the midst of the storm. He is plagued by doubts. I wonder if you can recall a moment like that, when in our our head we know what our Bible says, that God is, is with us, but in our hearts, we just struggle so much to believe it. Back in 2012, when Josiah was born, he was two months premature, which meant his lungs weren't ready for the big wide world. From day one, he was in the NICU, the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, uh, and I just didn't want to leave his side from the first moment. Again, crying out to God, please, Lord, let him be okay, let him recover quickly, and then day two comes around, really no improvement whatsoever. He's struggling a lot. And then on day three, he develops a very serious complication, what's known as a pneumothorax. And as I walked into his area, I I find out for the first time there and then as I'm walking into the ward that he is now in emergency surgery. And I wanted to pray. But in my distress, I just couldn't. I began to wonder why. Why is this happening? What is God doing? Our first child might not survive his first week. And I knew in my head what my Bible said. I knew that God is faithful. I was just struggling to believe it in the midst of that darkness in my heart. What do we do when those real doubts enter in? Well, this is where our psalm changes course for the better. Because Asaph, he confronts his doubts head on, and he shows us by doing so the key to comfort and hope as God's people when we really are in the thick of it, when we're really starting to lose hope. We take comfort not in our circumstances, but in God's track record. Come with me to verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Asaph looks back to God's dealings with Israel in the past. His right hand here, the years of the right hand of the Most High, it represents God's power wielded in history for the sake of his name and for the good of his people. But notice this history, it doesn't just come to mind for Asaph quickly. He has to diligently recall it. Verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder on all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. He intentionally and carefully recalls and thinks about what God has done. And this is what he remembers. Verse 13. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? God's already shown the splendor of his ways to his people. His ways are holy. They are are set apart. They're set above what we might expect in our understanding. 
And Asaph sees that most clearly in the way that God had worked to save his people to himself. See verse 14. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. He he recalls a time when God did work in a spectacular way to show forth his power to all the nations as he did redeem his chosen people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Those who knew slavery, hardship back in Egypt under a cruel master, but God promised, I will deliver you, I will save you to myself. Out of all of the nations, you will be mine. And now Asaph recalls the moment that God acted on that promise, a specific moment, when at first it it seemed like all was lost for them as God's people. The darkness was closing in. Israel had been freed from Egypt's grip in the light of the plagues that God had brought upon that land. And so they had started out towards Mount Sinai with Moses leading them on, but Pharaoh, not much longer later, had a change of heart. His army was bearing down on them in hot pursuit to bring them back into the slavery God had just delivered them from. And before them at this point was nothing but the vast waters of the Red Sea. They were trapped. They couldn't go back. They would perish at the sword. They couldn't go forward. They thought they would drown. Has God's promises failed? Would his people perish away from him after all? See how Asaph records it from verse 16. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. At that point when all seemed lost, when it seemed like they would perish, whether they went back or they went forward, God showed his might. And the vast waters of the Red Sea obeyed his voice. Israel passed through safely like no other nation had done before, and their enemy in Pharaoh and his army were crushed behind them. God showed himself faily in his ways that are holy, that are set apart. Unlike anything the world had ever seen before, using the very waters of the vast Red Sea to deliver them and crush their enemies. God was more than able to do it, even in the midst of the very worst darkness that they were facing. And it's that testimony, looking back, that Asaph clings to on this sleepless night to give him comfort and hope. God is with me in this bitter storm. He doesn't let his circumstances crush his faith completely. He looks back and he roots his faith in what God has done. How slow I can be as a Christian to do the same. As a Christian. No, we today have a far, far greater testimony than Asaph ever did to God's power and might to save. In the greatest of darkness, 
But we look back to the cross. We look back to the night before Jesus' death, how he had to endure his own sleepless night. You might remember our New Testament reading from Luke coming up again. Jesus cried out to God on the Mount of Olives, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The cup that Jesus had to drink for our sakes, it was the very danger that keeps Asaph awake in this psalm. You remember what was keeping him awake? Look back in verse 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up? His compassion. Asaph feared that Israel's sin meant God had abandoned them for good. But for Jesus, he knew to drink his cup that was causing him such agony, that is exactly what he would face. He would be shut out. He would be cut off from the father he had known from eternity past, even though he alone had committed no crime, like Israel or us have done. He alone did not deserve to perish away from his father. He cries out to God here, and his sweat becomes like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And in the midst of that darkness, and in his unfathomable love, he still took our place. In the darkness of the cross, the righteous one lay down his life to save us from our sins. No one expected God to fulfill his promise of salvation for the world in that way. Certainly not those closest to Christ, his disciples, who scattered. God giving his only son to die, that we might live. Reconciled to him in every way by his blood. God's ways are holy. They are set apart. They are far above our understanding. And we see that not only in the wonder of the cross, but in the fact that God did not abandon his son to the grave. Jesus rose. Death is dead. Love is won. Christ has conquered. And because we have that testimony now, for us who, who trust in Christ, we know where we are ultimately heading. We know that even in the face of death, We are secure. We can say with Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And the trouble is, I know how slow I can be to look to the cross, to look to that secure foundation that is mine by God's grace in Christ when the heat is turned up. It's a bit like when I went abseiling. You know what abseiling is? This is what it is. For some strange reason, people enjoy doing this. I was forced to once as part of a school outing. You stand on the edge of a tower, a tall tower, like that one, and then you just lean back slowly but surely with a rope around your waist, of course, and you're meant to just walk down the tower backwards, and you just let the rope slide through your hands as you go. That's not exactly what happened with me. Uh, the instructor, when I was at the top of the tower, he, he could tell I was pretty nervous. So he gave me some advice before I went over the edge. He said, when, when you go over and when you start to walk down to him, d- don't look at the ground. 
You just keep your eyes fixed on that rope that's holding you secure. Just don't look at the ground. So over the edge, I rent, and of course, a few steps down the tower, what do I do? I look straight down at the ground. And all I can think at that point is, I am going to die. I'm going to fall. It's going to be painful. My mom's going to be really mad. I am going to die. You see, I've forgotten about the rope that was more than able to keep me from actually falling down to the ground. All I could see was the floor 30 feet below me. And of course, the instructor on the top, thankfully, was looking down. And he saw that I was freaking out. And as soon as he saw that I was starting to lose it, he shouted down those same instructions again, Tim, look at the rope. Don't look at the ground. You're going to be fine. Just keep on looking at the rope. And because of that timely reminder, I managed to get down in one piece. Friends, when we face dark days with no end in sight, we have a rope that is ever secure that is stronger than anything that this life can throw at us. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love to us in Christ as one whom he has redeemed. But when we are really suffering, we can be quick to forget that. We're like me staring at the ground. We're focusing on the suffering, on our trial, and we're becoming more and more convinced by it there is no way out. This is it. I am done for. That's when we need someone to speak into our lives. Like that instructor spoke down to me. To point us back to the security that we do have in Christ. We need to take comfort in God's track record together as God's family. See, under God's sovereign hand, Asaph wrote this psalm not merely for his own sake, but also for the good of all of God's people. This is a song that was sung in the assemblies of Israel so that they might instruct one another on the very darkest of days. They might tell one another, look back, look back on what God has done. And just like them, we need that same encouragement And we need that same encouragement from one another as we share God's truth and love together so that we do keep our eyes fixed on Christ in the midst of the storms we face. And to do that effectively, we need to be sharing in one another's lives. I just think that applies for us in two ways this morning. Firstly, we need to be open with one another as God's people. It strikes me how brutally honest Asaph is about how he feels here in the midst of his storm. He's so forthcoming about how he feels. He doesn't hide his doubts. He doesn't just put on a fake smile. I've got to smile all the time. Now sometimes, and you're going to catch me out on this now, sometimes someone will come up to me on a Sunday morning and they'll ask me that, that natural question, hey Tim, how are you doing? And I will just instinctively respond, I'm fine. That reflex phrase, I'm fine. And, and sometimes that's, I'm being honest, it's true. I am just fine. Sometimes fine can actually mean frustrated, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. Fine. I'm fine. When I'm really anything but fine. You see, friends, because we all share one foundation in Christ, 
that we're all fellow sinners saved by nothing but the grace of God, that does mean we can be open with each other. Without fear for our reputations as those who stand on the same foundation. Sometimes I'll hold back. I'm worried. What will they think of me if I'm actually honest with them about how I feel right now? If I really share with them what's going on in my life right now? got to remember our foundation is in Christ. He is our worth, not the opinions of others whom God has given to support us. Let's be honest with each other where we can in times of trouble so that we are in a position to support. But secondly, if we're even going to do that effectively, we need to actually get to know one another well. We, We would never relate this way to a stranger, would we? Being open and honest with them. You know, gathering on a Sunday morning, it's good and it's important, but it doesn't, just, it doesn't give us a lot of time to spend together and to talk to one another. It's hard to build relationships of trust and openness if we don't know each other that well here at Smack. And Sundays, they are generally quite limited for doing that. We've got community lunch coming up. Do stay back for that, of course. But what are some of the other ways we can be genuinely building relationships with one another? to support each other. Well, sign up for Smago. Seriously, I know, I'm not joking. I know it might seem like a shameless plug, but I'm serious. You will build deeper relationships over three days than you would be able to do from a year of attending here on a Sunday morning. I'm not exaggerating. That really is the case. Of course, I also want us to seriously consider joining a growth group this year. You know, there may be reasons why for right now in this season it's not feasible for you, and that's fine. But if you can join a group, can I really encourage you to do that? To get together with others who are facing daily struggles like you, so that you will be in a far better position to both support and to be supported on the good days and on the bad. It is better to travel in groups. Like Asaph in this psalm, we we will be all the more able to point one another back wisely knowing what is going on in one another's lives. That word of encouragement, look back to the cross. God is faithful. As we share in his truth in love together, as we walk together by faith and not by sight. And so see every promise of God kept for us in Christ, no matter what might befall us in the here and now as we wait for his kingdom. Yes, in him we have an anchor that cannot fail, an eternal future that cannot be shaken, a king who loved us and gave his life for us. And so who is now exalted and interceding for us before God's throne, who will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes where the pain and trials we can know so closely will be a thing of the past. And we will be at rest with him in every way. So let's encourage one another to persevere on in faith until we reach that great day. And let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you that through Asaph's bitter experience, you caused him to write this, your word, for our comfort and our encouragement when we face storms.
the darkest of days where there's not appear to be any relief in sight. We thank you so much that now we don't look back to the Red Sea, we look back to Christ, in whom we have the promise of life even in the face of death. Father, pray, help us to be what you have saved us to be, for one another's sakes, to be acting wisely and lovingly that we might be able to point one another back to your unquestionable love for us in him in the midst of the darkest of days. Help us to continually be fixing our eyes on him by faith, to be persevering until that great day when he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Commit ourselves into your hands in his name. Amen.